0: It's been good to, uh, kind of with our, our youth during Sunday school, to work our way through this gospel and I've been looking at the life and the works of, of Jesus and um, here at the beginning of uh, chapter 16, Jesus has just completed several miracles. He's uh, fed the 5,000 Jewish men along with women and children, he's walked on water, he's Healed the Canaanite woman's daughter. It very unique, very significant because uh, the woman and her daughter were Gentiles. And the daughter was not present when she was healed. The only other time we see something like that is the healing of the centurion's servant in chapter 8. Then we read in chapter 15 that Jesus fed 4,000 Gentile men along with women and children. Just incredible displays of His divine power put on display for, for all to see and to witness. Which is really ironic considering what the, the Pharisees and Sadducees ask for in the very next set of verses. So look with me this morning. Uh, chapter 16 starting in verse 1. It says, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test Him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it amongst themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, "O you of little faith. Why are you discussing amongst yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees. In the Sadducees, very interesting um, interactions that we see happening here. And as we look at this, we're going to see three truths this morning that we're going to take away uh, from these verses. So, um, first of all, we see in verse one that the hardened heart seeks to test Jesus. We're going to see in verses 2 through 4 that Jesus does not entertain the request of a hardened heart that seeks to test him. And thirdly, we'll see that Jesus warns and corrects those who are his disciples. And we'll see that uh, in verses 5 through 12. And so let's begin. First, we're going to look at um, the hardened heart seeks to test Jesus. Again, we see this in verse One, there it says that the the Pharisees and Sadducees, they came together to make this request of Jesus. And it says that they wanted to see a sign from heaven. They wanted to see something um, so miraculous, so extraordinary, that the only explanation for it would be that God had done it. Now, like we said earlier, this is strange because Jesus had already done all kinds of signs. There's no lack of miracles that Jesus had done among the Jewish people. He had given sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. And the mute had spoken. He made the lame walk. He had cast out demons. There were plenty of signs that the Pharisees would have already seen and witnessed and heard about. One of the most direct accounts that where we see this happening is in Matthew chapter 12. And there it says that a demon, then a demon-oppressed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to him. And he healed him. So that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and they said, can this be the son of David? Can this be the, the Messiah? Verse 24. But When the Pharisees heard it, They said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. They heard about this miraculous work of Jesus and they attributed it to demons. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees are not asking here in chapter 16 to to see a, a sign from heaven because they've yet to see one. That's not the case. They're not asking for a sign so that they might rejoice in in God's goodness and and His faithfulness and worship Jesus as as the promised Messiah and Savior. There's something very different going on here in the hearts and the minds of the Pharisees and Sadducees. As a matter of fact, we're told directly here in verse 1 why the Pharisees and Sadducees want to see this sign. It says they made this request to Test Jesus, to test him. The word that, according to the, the Greek to English dictionary, means uh, to attempt to entrap through a process of inquiry. Dictionary then tells us Jesus was so treated by his opponents who planned to use their findings against him. So they wanted to back Jesus into a corner to, to get him to mess up, to get him to say something ignorant uh, in public in order to embarrass and to discredit him. That, that, that was the goal. It's what this word means. It's, it's a, a malicious thing, it's, it's ill intent on their part. Essentially, they were questioning Jesus to seek an opportunity to very openly and very publicly mock and ridicule him. That was the plan. And when we step back and we look at what's going on here, we, I mean, it's absolutely tragic that God the Son in human flesh is standing in front of them. This is the one uh, through whom every single molecule of the universe was created. This is the one who holds those very same molecules together with each millisecond that passes he created it all he sustains it all and yet with their hardened hearts they they did not understand they didn't believe and so they seek here to make a public spectacle out of Jesus and to test him and as we see these two groups coming together to to test Jesus, we then, we see Jesus' response to them recorded for us in verses 2 through 4. Look there with me, it says, And he answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you can't interpret the sign of the time. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. He left them and departed. And so in these verses we learn our second point this morning, that Jesus does not entertain the request of a hardened heart that seeks to test him. So Jesus here talking to uh, this group that has come together to, to ask him for a sign, he basically says to them, look, you can, you can look at the conditions of the sky and know the weather. You can make an observer, observation with your eyes and process that in your brain, and you can come to a logical conclusion based on prior experience and, and, and what you've seen about what it means for the coming day's weather. You do, do all of that with your mind. And understand what that means. And then Jesus says here, but, but when it comes to understanding spiritual things, when it comes to understanding the signs of the times in, in which you live, about what is going on in terms of salvation history, what, what God is doing to make a people for himself, you don't have a clue as to what's going on. Jesus says, you're better meteorologist than you are theologian. And for a group of proud, self-righteous Pharisees and teachers of the law, how do you how do you think that went over? This is a, a scathing rebuke that Jesus here gives to them. And when we look at this idea of the signs of of the times, the, the Puritan Matthew Poole, in his commentary on this passage, he he gives some examples of of what the Pharisees should have seen, what they should have known the signs of the times they should have recognized. And he writes this. Jesus was born of a virgin, as was prophesied by Isaiah. In Bethlehem, Judah, as was prophesied by Micah. At a time when the scepter was departed from Judah from Judah, and the lawgiver from his feet, as was prophesied by Jacob in Genesis 49. That John the Baptist has come in the power and spirit of Elias to prepare the way before him as was prophesied by Malachi. That there is one who come who opens the eyes of the blind and unstops the ears of the deaf and, and makes the lame to leap as a deer and the tongue of the dumb to sing according to the prophecy in Isaiah 35. And we could add so many more. These men were experts in the Old Testament scriptures, and they completely missed it. They didn't see it. These supposed teachers of the law knew the Old Testament forwards and backwards. They were, were so set on doing things correctly according to the law of Moses that they tied their spices. And they missed They didn't see it at all because of their hardness of heart because of their willful ignorance and unbelief they they didn't understand who was standing right in front of them and so Jesus continues in verse 4 and he says an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah two adjectives used here to describe this generation it's evil or some translations say wicked, and adulterous. And the second adjective here is, is just such a, a graphic and, and vivid illustration. Uh, comes from the Old Testament, especially places like Hosea chapter 3, which God e- equates the actions of the people of Israel, of going and worshiping idols and, and, and false gods, of the nations around them, he equates that with adultery within the marriage relationship. So God had made a covenant with this people. Just like a husband and wife make a a covenant together in marriage. That they'll be faithful to one another. That there will be no one else. That they will be mutually exclusive in their relationship with each other. And for Israel then to, to seek after Someone else, another God to worship, another God to serve, and to forsake the true God who had rescued and redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt and had, had given them the land and provided for them. It's just like adultery to a spouse. The, the hurt and, and betrayal and the anguish and the shame. And that's what this Jewish generation had done. They, they were not faithful To him. And so Jesus then looks at this group of of Pharisees and Sadducees that are asking him for a sign from heaven, and he says, No. No. Uh, He knows their hearts, he knows their minds, he knows their motivations, and he's not going to entertain their questions and their testing. He follows that up by saying, The only sign be given to you is the sign of Jonah. And so, in effect, what he's saying is, you have the whole Old Testament. It's all about me. And so the only sign that you'll get is the sign of Jonah. Now, this is not the, the first time that um, Jesus has had this same interaction with this group. As a matter of fact, he, he had this exact Same conversation back in chapter 12. And there it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Right? Like verbatim, same thing we see in chapter 16. But here... In verse 40, Jesus explains what this sign is. He says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so this act of of Jonah going down into the belly of the great fish and then coming up and being vomited on the dry land was a picture. It was an illustration, it was a a preview of what would happen to Jesus. Jonah going down into the ocean and down into the belly of the the fish, prefigured Jesus, having been crucified on a cross and being punished and dying, not for his own sin because he had none, but for the sins of, of those who would believe. he Dying in their place as their substitute, he was placed in a tomb in a grave in the heart of the earth going down. And then Jonah coming back up and being vomited out of the mouth of the fish, prefigured. Jesus being raised on the third day to, to life, to defeat sin and death. And so Jesus says, this is what the Pharisees and Sadducees should have gathered from the story of Jonah. But they didn't. It was the only sign they were going to get and they... Missed it, they didn't understand. And then at the end of verse 4 in chapter 16, we read that Jesus left them and departed. And this is a much more serious and sad thing than it initially sounds. Um, This is a very deliberate and definitive act by Jesus when he does this. The word used for left in this verse carries the idea of abandoning or forsaking. So, so Jesus abandoned them or, or Jesus forsook them. John Gill, in his, when he comments on this, he says, And he left them as persons hardened, perverse, and incurable, and is unworthy to be conversed with. So we see here, Jesus was done with this group. And he left. And again, when we step back and consider what's going on, this is is serious. This is eternally serious. These Pharisees and Sadducees are on a road straight to hell unless they repent and believe they will perish in their sins. And so we would... Normally we would think, surely Jesus should say something to them, right? He should plead with them. If there's even a remote chance that one of these guys would repent and believe if he did another sign, I mean, surely he should just do the sign. Whatever might work, whatever it takes, these guys might repent and believe, do that. Yet that's not what Jesus does. Instead, he says, no, I'm not going to give you a sign. And he walks away. This approach to the Pharisees is something that we've, again, we've seen previously. Back up in chapter 15, um, when we look at in verse 12, it says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. Leave them alone. Leave them be and move on. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Let them alone. Here in chapter 16, he walked away and left them. And we see here, Jesus doesn't entertain their questions of him, with their hardened hearts seeking to test him. And so we learn a couple of things from, from this encounter. The, the first thing we learn is this is a, a grave warning to non believers to not be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Do not harden your heart and engage in, in willful ignorance towards Jesus and towards the truth. Look at how these groups were, were described in these verses. Verse 4, they're, they're part of an evil and adulterous generation. Verse 3, they're described as, as ignorant. By they don't understand the signs of the time. And in verse 1, they seek to test Jesus with with ill will and and this malicious intent of their hearts. And all of these are symptoms of a hardened heart. So then the plea to the non-believer is to not approach Jesus in this fashion. Don't come to Him with with pride, some sort of smug arrogance, and, and continually reject the truth that's in front of you. Don't approach this holy son of God with a mocking tone lest he turn away and forsake you as he did this group at the beginning of chapter 16. In addition to this being a warning for unbelievers, we also see in these verses that it's an example for believers of how to approach those that are like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, I do want to, to be very uh, careful here to, to not be misunderstood in, in what, I, what I'm saying. There's absolutely no question that we are to be patient and to be humble and to be gracious and generous with those who do not believe, to be long-suffering with them, to, to plea with them, to share the truth of the gospel with them, to pray for them diligently. But we do see here there comes a time in the, in the face of persistent hard-hardness and, and animosity that regrettably we, must, we, we move on, at least until such a time as, as the individual begins to show some kind of sensitivity or some kind of willingness to listen to the truth. We, we see this in the, the teaching of Jesus uh, to his disciples earlier in Matthew, in chapter 7. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not give what is holy. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. In chapter 10, when he sends out um, the 12, he says to them, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Again, in no way here we advocating some kind of quick, rash, impulsive rejection of non-believers. There's got to be great discernment when evaluating this. Because um, I was discussing this this past week with a good friend of mine. And he reminded me that when we come and look at this, um, we do have to remember here that Jesus knows the hearts and minds of those he's speaking to perfectly. We do not. And so there's got to be great care in how we we handle this. There's got to be a lot of prayer and a lot of discernment. But there is a a biblical principle here that we see that is displayed by Jesus in this interaction with this group. And I I thought as I was uh, reading this week that Pastor uh, John MacArthur expressed this idea really well when he wrote it this way. Jesus was not speaking of those who are slow to understand or believe, but of those who, after hearing a clear testimony of the gospel and seeing dramatic and irrefutable signs of confirmation, continue to resist and oppose it. When a person's mind is firmly set against God, we should turn our efforts to others. And indeed, that's what we see Jesus doing here in verse 4. So, this morning, we have seen that the hardened heart seeks to test Jesus. Secondly, we saw that Jesus doesn't entertain this request of a hardened heart. And third truth that we see from this text this morning is that Jesus warns and corrects those who are his disciples. So, let's read verses 5 through 12 uh, once again. And I want you to note the contrast here between how Jesus responded to the group of Pharisees and Sadducees on one hand over against how he responds to his disciples on the other. Verse 5 it says, When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it amongst themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And it says, Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread. Of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And as I was thinking this week, and kind of struggling how to convey this point, I, I thought it might be helpful to just kind of lay out the, the contrast but between these two groups and see why there's, there's such a difference in Jesus' posture and His response to these two groups of people. So on the one hand, we see uh, the Pharisees, in the Sadducees, we see that they're hard-hearted. Um, they approach Jesus with, with this malicious ill intent to, to ridicule him, to discredit him. On the other hand, uh, we see the disciples. We see here that they're, they're going with Jesus. They had been with him for three years, and then we see in this text it says, and they came to the other side of the sea with him. They they desired to learn. We know that because it's literally in the name. Disciple means learner or student. Also, we consistently see them asking questions of Jesus and and seeking to understand. For example, in going to Jesus and asking Him to explain the the parables to them. They want to know. We also see um, a, a great contrast in the reaction to the way they respond to witnessing a great work of God. In Matthew uh, chapter 12, Jesus healed the, the withered hand of a man, and he did it on the Sabbath. And it's this miracle of this man being restored to health, of his life being radically changed. It was a time that should have been a time of rejoicing and praising God. And it says that the Pharisees went out, and conspired against him how to destroy him. To destroy him means to kill, to, to murder him, to get rid of him. Later in Matthew 12, the, the Pharisees uh, accused Jesus of working with the, the prince of demons when he cast out the demon that, uh, of the man who was uh, blind and mute so that he saw and spoke. On the other hand, we see the the reaction of the disciples. For example, the first time Jesus calmed the storm by rebuking the winds and the waves. And it says that the disciples marveled at him and, and they said, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Then there was a second instance of Jesus calming the storm. This time, after he, he came to them, actually walking on the water, and it it says in in chapter fourteen that when this happened, they worshipped him, saying, "Truly, you are the Son of God." And so we see that when we come to this text in in chapter sixteen, we we see that both groups, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and in, in verses one through four, and the disciples in, in verses five through twelve are ignorant, right? They're both ignorant. They don't understand. The disciples just as ignorant as a group of of Pharisees and Sadducees. In verse 6, Jesus speaks in a a figurative or or a parabolic way about the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And remember, just a few chapters back, in, in chapter 13, Jesus spent a whole chapter speaking in parables. And interpreting those parables for the disciples. The parable of the soils, the, the wheat and the tares, the, the pearl of great price, the treasure hidden in a field. All of these parables, like back to back to back. So it, it, it wasn't like Jesus, you know, teaching in figurative language was, was brand new to them. They, they had heard it before. And just a few chapters later here in chapter 16, they hear what Jesus says. And they start talking to each other and they're like, we didn't bring any bread. What's he talking about? I mean, the, the point that Jesus was making went completely over their heads. But then we see this incredible, glorious reality in verses 5 through 12 of, of Jesus' patience with his disciples and, and instructing them in a way that he did not do with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So look with me in verse 8. Jesus says, "Oh, you of little faith. This is a, the fourth time, fourth time out of five, that, that Jesus will say this to his disciples in the book of Matthew. So he does correct them. He does call out their lack of faith. But for the disciple here, this is not harsh criticism, um, but instead this is loving Discipline. Jesus goes on from there and continues by asking them five questions in succession. One right after the other. And when he asks these questions, this is a reprimand to his disciples, but it's for a purpose. He's leading them. He's leading them through the questions. He's like, guys, do you not remember the 5,000? And the 4,000, and the bread that I provided them. If if I was talking about literal bread, if if literal bread was the issue, I can take care of that. It's not, not a problem. And at the end of verse 11, Jesus repeats the statement that he made earlier. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then in verse 12, it says, then they understood he did not tell them of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, I'm, I'm not anything of a baker at all, um, but it's my understanding that, that leaven is the part of the bread that makes it rise and, and gives, it all, you know, gives it kind of all of its soft and fluffy goodness right? when we eat it and we, we enjoy it. But there's some interesting characteristics of leaven. And one of these is it takes a very small amount of leaven to do the job. doesn't have to be a lot. It's just a very, very small amount compared to um, the amount of dough that you're working with. Secondly, it can be very um, inconspicuous as, as it works, right? You can't really... See it, you can't pick it out until you start to see the effects of it. And thirdly, if you put a little bit of leaven into this huge amount of dough, it will not stop until it's infused every single part of it. Like you can't just section it off and and stop it and have it only work here and not over here. It's going to spread through the entire thing. And so here Jesus is telling the disciples that the, the teaching of these Pharisees, the teaching of the Sadduce- Sadducees, it, it, it's subtle. The 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 issues might be almost imperceptible a lot of times when they're teaching, which which is true of, of all false teaching. Because it was if it was so obvious, then you'd just look like at it and say, that's false teaching. So it's very subtle. It's also like leaven because it takes a small amount of of false teaching to to completely corrupt all doctrine. Believing wrongly in one area will distort and and corrupt the way we believe about everything else. And therefore, Jesus says here, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So, patient, gracious, loving, loving, correction of jesus to to point this out to his disciples and to warn them and to walk them through to the point of understanding and so what we see throughout these verses that we've looked at this morning there's there's two responses that can be taken to who jesus is and and two responses that can be taken to what jesus has done we can approach him with contempt And with malice and and seek to discredit and to mock him, which he will not entertain or tolerate. Or we can approach him with humility, with an eagerness to learn, an eagerness to be taught and to be corrected by him and, and by the word. And this he lovingly and patiently does to those who are his. And so we've all got to decide how it is we will respond to the truth of Christ and to his gospel. So let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had together. We thank you for your word. Father, I do pray that, that by your spirit you would apply these things to our hearts today, to our minds, that we would meditate on them, that we would, would think deeply. Father, that you would change us. Lord, that we would be more like Christ. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.